0: This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design invests in building and teaching designers using the best tools for the job. I asked product designer Matthew Suber what he's learned about design since working at Facebook.
1: Product Design is a partner of uh, business and strategic decisions. And I've personally evolved thinking this way uh, on my own, but I feel even more confident knowing that I'm at a company that supports that kind of thinking. So that's somewhere where I've grown significantly.
0: Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, JobWell is looking for a product designer in New York City. Buffer has a remote position available for a customer onboarding and engagement advocate. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for a design writer to join our team. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts when there are new positions added to the job board. You'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview... Just wanted to announce that 28 Days of the Web is back. This is the fifth installment of 28 Days of the Web, and we're featuring a different black designer, developer, or creative every day during Black History Month. You can follow along at 28daysoftheweb.com or on Twitter at 28 Days of the Web. That's the number two, eight days of the web. We've also got something special this year. We've got video interviews with a few of this year's honorees. We'll be sharing those throughout February, and I definitely want to shout out our sponsor, Glitch, for helping make that happen. Also, our special fifth anniversary episode is coming up this month on February 26th, and we want you to be a part of it. Do you have questions about the show? Do you have questions for me? you have questions for any of our past guests? Send them to revisionpath at gmail.com, and we'll answer them on our anniversary episode. We might even have a few special guests as well. Check the show notes for a link to our blog post with more information. Make sure you send us your questions by February 19th. Now let's talk about our sponsors Glitch, Google Design, MailChimp, and SiteGround. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. So if your New Year's resolution is learning how to code, then look no further. Glitch provides you with a platform to easily start creating anything from a simple website to a Slack bot to a web app using Node.js. There's VR projects on there. So if you see anything that you like, you can actually remix it, which is like cloning the project, and then start tinkering with it and make it your own. Get started on making something awesome today at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google/newsletter. Again, that's design.google/newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. It's a new year, which means it's a great time to work on your email marketing efforts. Let MailChimp's pre-built marketing automation help you out. Automations are like a second brain for your business, and they can do all the heavy lifting for your email marketing efforts, so you can focus on what's really important, which is running your business. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects you need cloud hosting or a dedicated server, SiteGround's got you covered. Are you hosting WordPress, Drupal, Magento, or Joomla? They can handle that too. And with award-winning customer support and amazing uptime, you don't have to worry about any hosting issues at all. Get started today by visiting SiteGround.com forward slash revision path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking to Ian Davis, founder and principal of Age of the Creative. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is
1: Ian Davis. I'm the founder and principal of Age of the Creative, a consulting firm that's the go-to creative resource with solutions that grow business. We serve the artist community with opportunities and resources to help them scale, and we provide creative solutions for brands, agencies, and startups.
0: Where did you get the idea to start? Age of the Creative, and why did you call it that?
1: So it all kind of started, I've been doing this work for years, but me actually starting the company and actually kind of going on a larger scale with it started after about a year and a half, maybe two years of like freelancing and being involved in like talent management and brand partnerships and stuff like that on the solo front. So I was working with three different types of creatives, A lifestyle brand, a photographer, a chef, a person in music. So three of those people I was managing, and then the other person in music, and actually other two people in music, I was working on their brand partnerships and sponsorships and really just figuring out ways to elevate their business. And after I got out of the... So prior to that, I was in marketing and advertising for years as a producer, producing television commercials, online content, apps, banners, et cetera. And... During that time at one of the agencies, I was always involved in like extracurricular things. One of those things being interpublic groups, black employee network. So a couple of times a year, we put together different sort of events and activations for the employee resource groups. And it was always, it was totally volunteer thing, but it was always the younger folks that were really, really passionate about it. And that were really leading the charge as far as how things should be executed within that. Mm -hmm. So during that time, I was always, I had musician friends and people just within various creative industries that I was working with, or that were just my friends. And I was always figuring out how I can create opportunities for them, whether that's for exposure, putting money in their pocket, brand connectivity. So that's kind of where the root of it started. And fast forward again. So I just wanted to give that and lay that sort of foundation as context. But fast forward to the time when I was managing people and working independently, it was really, really awesome. Had the opportunity to facilitate a lot of different deals for people, elevate their business in a bunch of different ways, connect them with different brands and stuff like that. And it was really, really dope. And then that time ended very kind of abruptly, Mm -hmm. but on a good basis. And At that point, I was just, it was interesting because I was just kind of like, I loved it. Before that, I was freelancing and just kind of like felt like I was stealing money based off of one of the clients (laughs) that I was working for. Not in that sense, but, you know. No, I I know what you
0: mean. Like you're doing work on the side that also kind of feeds into what you're doing for a living. I get you.
1: Well, yeah, I was getting paid a day rate to produce like e-commerce content. And there was days I wasn't, you know, I would only work like two hours a day but I was still getting paid my day rate no matter what. So it was like, man. So I was just traveling around doing a bunch of stuff. And during that time and then going into the management stuff, when the management ended, I got to the point where I was like, all right, what am I going to do now? I was fortunate enough to have already worked at a lot of places I wanted to work at, achieved some of my professional goals and personal goals as well in New York. And I was just like, what's next? You know, if I was going to go take a full-time opportunity it really had to be something that was really made sense for me and beneficial. And there was going to be a lot of non-negotiables. And so I figured out that I still wanted to help the artist community that I was working with and that I was managing prior to that, but I didn't really want to be involved on a day-to-day basis and, you know, manage their money. So I had to really take the time and figure out like, how do I do this? I knew that my network and my community of artists that I work with was still strong And I was just kind of like, yo, I I think I want to just start my own thing. And so I just started looking around at things that were out there. And, you know, I always knew that this artist community, this creative community, primarily in New York, because that's where I live, needed help. And people were always hitting me up for stuff. So I was just like, all right, I know I can kind of make money as that, uh, off that and kind of serve as like that go-to resource and be the plug and be the creative plug that's how it kind of started but that answers your question directly. I just again I wanted to lay some some foundation and context of just what my past was and how I got to that place. And yeah, it's been super super challenging, but you know, I'm fulfilled on a day-to-day basis. So
0: When you say that the, you know, these creatives that you were working with needed help, can you elaborate on that? Like what specifically did they need?
1: Yeah, a lot of times people sometimes will need brand sponsorship help or need help with resources, or need a venue, or need just different ways to grow their business, but they don't think about that. Creatives are really, really good at creating. They're not good at the business of their creativity, though. You know what I mean? And I'm totally an advocate, having been worked in talent management, of people having somebody that handles their business affairs, whether that's facilitating a deal, whether that's looking over a contract, whether that's negotiating the deal just somebody to to be there as a point person to protect their interest, And, but they don't know how to do that. They focus on the work. And what often happens is when the creatives a lot of times do it themselves, unless you were already doing that before you got into pursuing your creativity full time, Mm -hmm. sometimes there's that like block that can kind of get in the way where you don't want to say no to somebody because you have a good relationship with them or built that relationship with that brand or that person. Right? So, Not to say that they don't know how to do it, but creators want to focus on creating. They don't want to focus on the business. Like, yes, they need the business, they need the money, they need the relationships and all that stuff. So that's the sort of help that they needed. Sometimes they they didn't even need help with the opportunities, but they might've needed resources. Maybe they needed a space to create from. Maybe they needed equipment. Maybe they needed whatever that may be, product for something, right? Maybe they were going on a trip and they were like, I'm going to create this and I need this. So knowing and having those connections and those relationships on a personal and professional level, just kind of in my back pocket, I've always just been able to facilitate and be able to provide that support and say, hey, so-and-so is working on this. Case in point is during that time I was talking about when I was freelancing and before I got into to managing directly, I was working with a musician. We're still still on great terms and his man, I was working with him and his manager and I went to Montreal and came across this really really dope art ex- exhibition at the actually yeah it was Montreal at the Montreal Contemporary Art Center or whatever I forgot the museum but it was really really dope and they had this exhibition of or this exhibit of these wooden turntables that were spinning and playing music it was really actually made out of wood and the artists that did it. The way he created it, I was just fascinated by it. So it just so happened, the musician I was working with at the time, Young Guru, who's Jay-Z's tour DJ and engineer, I was working with him and his manager, they were working on a deal with IAI, which is a Danish headphone company. Mm-hmm. And so just me, just this is what I do, right? So I'm just like, oh man, this is dope. So I took a picture of it and I sent it to his manager and I think I sent it to him. I was like, oh man, Guru, I know you love this. This is dope. I think I took a video of it because they were spinning and they're actually playing music. And then I just reached out to the artist, and I was like, hey, man, I think your work is dope. You know, I work with Young Guru, we do da-da-da-da-da-da, da da, da, we are working on this. I'd love to just stay connected and figure out if there's a place to connect the dots in the future on a project. And he's a multidisciplinary artist. And then fast forward to a few years later, this same artist, his name is Jordan Bennett, he's from New Finland. He hit me up, and you know, we were unable to connect the dots with him and Guru on something, but he knew I had a relationship with IAI, and... He actually got invited to exhibit and participate in the Venice Biennale, which is like the Olympics of art in Venice, Italy. And he hit me up and he was like, Yo, do you still have that relationship with III? I'm doing this exhibition. I've got invited. Da, 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 da. I need some product. I would love some headphones and figure out how we can integrate III into my exhibition. And then I was able to facilitate and make that happen. So that's just kind of like one of the examples of just how the help that different artists needs, right? That they need or the needs that they have or just how they want to grow. Everybody wants to scale in one way or another, right? Like yeah. you, know, Maurice being a business person, I'm sure you want to scale this podcast. I'm sure you want to scale the design work that you're doing, you know what I mean? Everybody wants to scale. And that's just the the society that we live in in Western culture. So, you know, knowing that, it's being able to help them scale that and figuring out a strategy to put in place to help them do that.
0: Yeah, I know so many designers that specifically need that kind, because what it sounds like is you're, you're not so much an agent or a broker, but, but you're, I don't know if that's kind of even, I might be simplifying it too much by using those terms, but because you're handling their business affairs, but then you're also kind of putting them in the path for bigger and greater opportunities.
1: Yes and no, right? So yeah, like I am able to come and present like an agent or a broker would, right? Present yeah. an opportunity to them. You know, if you're a designer, it's like, hey, I'm working with Nike. We're doing this thing. Here's $50,000. Do you have bandwidth and do you want to do it? You know, mm-hmm. so yes, I did bring this deal and this opportunity to you like an agent would, but my approach is more strategic. It's figuring out, it goes beyond the transaction. So it's figuring out how. This can actually benefit you beyond what the initial need is and how you can potentially work with this company or work with this other person beyond that. Right. So hypothetically, if your rate is, you know, a thousand dollars an hour or something like that, and I can only come to you with like six or $700 for whatever the work is or pay you at six or $700 an hour for your thing, I can then figure out a strategy where it's beneficial for you beyond that work beyond that initial engagement and say, all right, I can only pay you this, Maurice, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually prolong this work and give you either give you this over the course of a month or bring in have other things percolating and bring in some other opportunities for you. And, you know, I'm actually able to just kind of hold my word with that. And that's why a lot of the artists that I just work with, they know the work that I do and they know that I'm going to continue to help them and continue to help them build So, yeah, it's twofold. It is being able to facilitate those opportunities, but then it's also being able to look at how do you position this person to create these additional opportunities? What's the strategy around how they want to grow their business? What sort of brand materials do they have together? How are they talking about themselves on social? How are they talking about their work? Are they selling it? Are they monetizing anything that they're doing? What are some other avenues that they can go to continue to grow their brand and grow their business. So it's a little bit of both.
0: A little bit of both. I got you. Yeah. I know a lot of people I'm thinking of one person in particular who I I want to introduce you to after we do this interview, but I'm thinking of, of people I know that they need that because like you said, unless they come into what they're doing with already some sort of knowledge of marketing or business or something, it can be hard to negotiate. It can be hard to to seek out these opportunities and it can you know also be hard to handle that alongside the job of just creating your art
1: absolutely absolutely and that's it's been three four years it's been almost four it's actually going on four years in February so it's been a long time and beyond me starting this company I've just been kind of doing this stuff right I've always I'm always passionate that's my passion that's why I got into it is is helping people and I believe that we're all called here to serve so this is my service, not only to the artist and creative community, but, you know, to the world. It's like, again, it's twofold. I have two customer segments. So I don't just serve the artists and the creative community. I also work with the brands, agencies and startups and figure out, you know, what sort of creative solutions I can provide for them, leveraging the artist community. And so it's actually like one hand washes the other, where I'm able to put together a strategy to help them accomplish whatever their goal or provide a solution for whatever their challenge is. And then be providing that solution or helping them accomplish that goal, I'm actually integrating the artist community into that. And now artists is actually providing the solution with the strategy that I've put together and I actually integrate them into that process. So I've actually adopted just in the last few months, I spent a lot of last year in 2017 figuring out you know, how this business grows. And so I'm really, really excited about the new business model that we're rolling out and when you talk about, you know, and people that need that sort of help, a lot of times people can't afford that help, right? Or people want that sort of representation and not, and not even representation, but they just kind of need that sort of support, but they don't either want to give up a, a percentage of, or commission percentage of whatever the revenues are, or they don't want to pay a fee or whatever the case may be. So that's why, you know, we've adopted a new model and just have grown the business and grown the team as well to be able to provide that sort of support, whether that's what you know, social media, branding, content, legal help, data, you know, there's just different sort of avenues and different people that we've actually brought on as consulting partners for the business that are going to be able to help this community grow and scale their business. So, you know, I'm really, really excited about that and the the help that we'll be able to provide and the places we'll be able to grow, grow to and go to.
0: What are the best types of clients for you to work with?
1: People that are serious, <laughs> people that are serious. And, and also, you know, I also do, I do want to help everybody. Right. But is that humanly possible? Not really. No. <laughs> anything, any anything is possible. Yes. It's, you know, it does come down to like how you manage your time and stuff like that. You know, you also have to kind of curate and control what your perception is and then also just kind of control that so you can attract the type of business that you want. So there is a vetting process, you know what I mean? And I've had, and and the reason I've adapted the new model that I guess we'll talk about later is because there was a lot of people that weren't serious Mm -hmm. and it would just be so frustrating to me because I spend my time, my energy, Mm -hmm. my money or whatever that the case may be in taking a meeting with somebody, hopping on a phone call. And then it came down to just wasting my time because Mm -hmm. you know I put together a proposal for this person and then talk about how we can do x y and z and then you know i never hear back from the person so yeah. you know what i mean like it, i know all too well <laughs> yeah so it, it gets a little frustrating you know on that front and so there's things there's sort of just kind of things i had to put in place to nip that in the bud and, and prevent those things from happening so yeah. i guess the type of client i'm looking for is is anybody that's serious anybody that wants to grow their business and is serious about taking their creativity and to the next level.
0: What is a typical day like for you? It varies. Or does, or does that exist? I guess I should probably ask.
1: Yeah, I've been spending more time on being intentional. And like 2017 was a roller coaster in so many different ways, professionally, personally, mentally, physically. And I learned a lot. It was very, very challenging. I don't want to say that like it sucked, right? It was challenging in so many ways financially and whatever. So, a typical day, it really just depends on what's going on. I spent a lot of 2017 at the beginning and even in the middle, really focusing on generating new business and working to get better. And after identifying things at the end of 2016 and even at the top of 2017, just sort of gaps in the business and just areas to improve. I spent a lot of time polishing those things up and changing my approach. And so a lot of my time was spent on taking meetings and emailing people and figuring out strategies for certain things. And when I was working on something, obviously, I'd spend my time on that. And then a shift happened when I was started to to fundraise or started the process of fundraising to get capital for a new arm of the company and then it shifted so a lot of my time was spent on a lot of the latter part of 2017 was spent on how the business scales how and where it scales where are we valuable at why would people even hit us up you know what i mean so and that's just kind of been a little bit of what's taking my time now like i've had some engagements i had to work on the last couple weeks and just things new things i'm prepping for whether that's planning So yeah, typical day, it just really varies on what's going on. A lot of that sort of thought and strategy, that will never be done as far as how the business grows, right? That's going to be something that's ongoing,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but I'm not spending as much time on it as I was the latter part of the year. So now I have certain days that I'll do meetings or I'll do one-on-one consults where people can schedule one-on-one consults with me, whether that's on the phone or in person, And then I have days where I'm just, you know, I wake up early. I have days I don't wake up early. You know, it depends on what time I go to sleep. And I'm just realizing as I get older, I'm a morning and a night person, so I can wake up, I can stay up late and wake up early. Mm -hmm. But as you get older, your body just doesn't really, it's harder to adapt when you don't get as much rest as you need. Yeah. So it really depends on what time I go to sleep and what I have to do if I have different meetings set up, if I have you know, something I'm planning, working on a deck or a presentation for a client or whatever the case may be. Day to day varies. But I do have set days where I, I know I, there's certain things I'll be doing, like I said, with meetings and phone calls and stuff like that and, and, and consults with people.
0: By the way, you mentioned capital earlier. As As I was doing my research, I saw that you actually won some capital recently through Capital One. They got a small business elevator pitch competition. Congratulations to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that was super, super much needed. And the timing of that was perfect because it just helped me with a lot of other things. But yeah, that was just kind of, you know, I hope that snowballs into more. That was great to be involved in that competition. And I don't know if I'm going to do any others. We'll, we'll see as those things kind of develop. But yeah, it was it was great to be a part of Columbia Business School's Small Business Development Center here in Harlem. Um, the resources that they have there are amazing. And i just been utilizing a lot of those and getting that sort of support. And I got entered in by my advisor to participate in, in that contest. So, yeah, it was really, really dope.
0: Nice. Is that going to go towards that other arm of business like you talked about earlier?
1: Well, yeah, it's a little bit of both, right? Like, because it's I'm doing this full time, right? Like, I have to be able to take care of my adult responsibilities. So some of that, you know, does go towards like, all right, what do I have to do personally? And then other parts of that go into the business, And things that we kind of need to put in order for this year, just outstanding sort of things. So, yeah, it's a little bit of both. I think that if it was a bigger amount, and I'm grateful for it, if it was a bigger amount, it definitely would go all towards the business. But, yeah, a little bit of both.
0: Okay. I want to go back because I'm really interested kind of not only in just sort of your, your early career, like what got you to where you are now, but even, you know, kind of before then, like when you look back. At your childhood, was was creativity a big part of everything that you did when you were a kid?
1: Not really. Kind of, but not really. I was into music a lot. I played in band up until sophomore year in high school, but really kind of sports drove me. Okay. I played basketball. I played football. I ran track. I played baseball. I was always interested in just sports, 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 sports. (laughs) So that's (laughs) That's really what drove me. But then, when I go back home, sometimes from time to time, I look at um, just different things I created. So I, <laughs> I remember I, because I always have these like visions for things. And so I'm the youngest. I have an older sister, and I was always hanging out with the older kids. And I remember when I was like, wow, well, I was I was like less than ten years old. And so I created an ID for myself, right? Like an identification card because I saw like my parents with their driver's license and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And then I don't know if it was for a project or I don't know what it was for, but I came across, I used to read Slam Magazine because I love basketball. It's my favorite sport. I just happen to be better at football, but <laughs> I used to read Slam Magazine and I created like my own version of Slam. And I can't remember if it was for a school project or if I just did it on my own, but I remember having this camera that I got from my granddaddy after he passed away. There was just a lot of just random tchotchkes around his house, so I, you know, my dad brought some of those things back and I had to clean out the house and scoop them up. So I had this camera, and it wasn't like a DSLR or anything. I mean, they weren't even out then. But yeah, I remember just doing like a photo shoot because Slam they always had like the new sneakers that are coming out, a feature in the back of the magazine, and mm-hmm. then different features on different ball players and stuff like that. So I was creating like my own publication there. So it was always like fun. But yeah, creativity didn't really drive me too much when I was younger. It kinda happened more on like as I got older and into college and stuff like that. And I started to think about just creative ways and different sort of approaches to do things. And that's just how my mind thinks is I don't think about the norm. I always think about very against the grain, but I always think about, you know, how people experience things and traditions and what's normally done and how can you do something different, you know, so somebody can have a different experience or a better experience. So, yeah, it came the latter part of just my adolescent years, Mm -hmm. probably in college, maybe. I think it started in college. Yeah.
0: And speaking of college, you went to Hampton University?
1: I did, I did. I love my h i u.
0: Tell me about your time there.
1: It was iconic. It was legendary. <laughs> it's weird because I've recently just been having random like dreams about my past. I don't live with regrets now, like I haven't for the last few years, so i I live each day to the fullest and try to take advantage of everything that I can and and kind of live in the moment yeah while at the same time being responsible so i've just been having these weird dreams about it's almost like i'm in these scenarios that i was in in college or even younger in high school and just me reapproaching these things and doing things differently so i wouldn't trade my hampton experience for the world because i met some of the best people in the world you know our network is really extremely big. You know, that's how you and I got connected is is through my Hampton network and one of my classmates there. And, you know, I learned so much. I got connected to so many great people. And I think that my Hampton experience really actually laid the foundation of the path that I've been on. When you kind of talk about revision path, and I don't really know fully what that means, but it was there that I was able to actually find, and I didn't really find it until after. Right, But it kind of came when I was there, and I, re- I I looked back on the experience and realized like it came from Hampton out, the path that i I found, and I found my passion, and it was always helping people. and an organization I was involved in, they kind of spoke life into me and in saying that I was always knowing, intending to assist people. and it was just interesting because that's really just how I've lived my life, right? And then within the first year and a half out of college, is when i identified my passion and that that's helping people and then i added two more passions to that list which is creativity and culture right and so that's how i kind of got into what i'm doing now is kind of melding all three of those things together helping people creativity and culture and and that just set me on the path of of my business but yeah man Hampton was just so iconic i built friends for life Hampton people are everywhere you literally could just kind of go anywhere in the world and run into somebody from Hampton. I don't forget faces. So I've run into a lot of people in different times. I actually have from Hampton. I've done some work with other people from Hampton that are alumni before myself and that are older. Even one of our, one of the people on our advisory board is a Hampton alum, way, way, way before me. And yeah, man, it's Hampton experience is like none other. I just kind of chose to go there. I didn't take a visit or nothing like that. I It wasn't on like my top list or anything like that. I actually wanted to come back here to the city, to New York, and go to either Hofstra or Long Island University, CW Post, and play football. And I got in, and then I got in Hampton, and my parents were like, oh, you got in Hampton? I don't even think they knew I applied there. They are like, oh, you got in Hampton? I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh, shoot, one of my mom's best friends went to Hampton, and <laughs> I didn't know anything. I wasn't exposed to to HBCU culture growing up. That wasn't, you know, I grew up in Arizona, so that wasn't something that was just really on my radar. And when I got in, it was just like, all right, I'll go. And it was a life-changing experience. I really, really think that it, you know, again, just the things I learned there, the people I met, the life lessons just really kind of set me on the path that I'm on now. And I'll never forget those experiences and those people. So yeah, it was really, really amazing.
0: And now you also, you know, after that, you, I see you've done a lot of work with big agencies like Widen Kennedy, with Huge, with McCann Erickson. And you, you know, you kind of talked a little bit about how that's work kind of set the framework for Age of the Creative, but were there anything else that those agency experiences taught you?
1: A lot. Yeah. It's, those agency experiences taught me a lot. It was actually interesting, just piggybacking off of the, the previous question, talking about Hampton, right? So I studied broadcast journalism and I just had this knack for like production. And so initially my goal was to come in there and I'm very, very good on camera in front of people and speaking in front of people. That just kind of comes natural to me. And so I was like, all right, I want to be on camera talent. So I I went there. We had the Dean of our school at the time was a well-respected journalist and you know, reputable in, in the industry, Tony Brown. And so There was another major, but they they sort of ousted that major during my freshman year, so I had to redeclare it as broadcast journalism. And so I studied that just because I wanted to be on camera talent. And then as I kind of navigated through my freshman year, one of my roommates, one of my roommates, he also had the same major. He used to just walk around campus with a camera. Shout out to Aubrey Douglas if you're listening. And Aubrey was a really, really dope creative. He would walk around, he would walk around campus with a camera everywhere, and then he would also make these shirts. And so I would make shirts in high school. So maybe my creativity started there. I made shirts in high school, and then Aubrey used to make these shirts with like pictures on them, really, really dope. But anyways, he had the same major, so we were part of the six o'clock club. And every Thursday morning, we would go the dean six o'clock club. Every Thursday morning at six a.m., we would wake up and go meet up with the dean. It was a group of us. Like, you know, 40-some students or maybe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I remember just as I, after that, matriculated through, I started to butt heads with a lot of the faculty in my school, Scripps Howard School of Journalism Communications, because it was interesting. That's where, like I said, I kind of can look back at where I I think my creativity started and just kind of the direction I, I went in. But I remember people from outside of the university would come and speak to students and stuff like that. Two people specifically, the Boost Mobile sponsored a campus tour and Bevy Smith, who's a really, really good friend of mine. I look up to her and Sky Ali. I don't remember his last name, but I remember those two. And Ali was a director. And I remember they came and spoke and Ali was saying, hey, man, like somebody asked a question. He was like, hey, man, you know, sometimes you just got to get out there and like be a rebel and do things on your own. And I didn't necessarily take that and say, all right, F the system. I'm going to do things on my own, but I was already, I knew the direction I wanted to go in when I studied broadcast journalism. I knew it it shifted me wanting to be in front of the camera. I ended up wanting to be behind the scenes and be in production. So Mm -hmm. I shifted kind of my focus and I was a little upset that you know, how they structured that broadcast journalism major. They didn't really like cater to the people that wanted to do production and be behind the scenes. It was all news, 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 news. And that wasn't something I was interested in. And so I knew I, I minored in marketing. And once I declared that minor, I think my junior year, you know, a lot of the classes that I had, I took like advertising class and that led to my interest in just kind of the industry. And then from there, right, like we had a ton of group projects and all the minor classes, all my minor classes. So for one of those group projects in the advertising class, I was like, hey, we had to create this product and do like the five Ps: product placement, promotion, place. And I'm forgetting what the other one is. I was like, yo, if we do a commercial, we can like get an A on this project. And so because I was a broadcast journalism major, I had the camera equipment out already rented, not rented, but just, you know, I had the permission to use it. And I was like, let's just shoot this commercial. And I just—long story short—I remember ended up getting like accosted by the faculty because I did (laughs) that. You know what I mean? And it was just so crazy because all these professional people coming and just like, hey, you gotta like do guerrilla style and just like do things on your own and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And meanwhile, the faculty was like, no. And I remember faculty like sat one of the homecomings or parents' weekends or something like that. My parents came in town. And they sat in front of my, like, when I was sitting there, they sat in front of me and my parents and were like, yeah, your son is causing problems and da 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 And I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to get an A in my marketing class, man. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's not a big deal. Like, if I already had the equipment out, like, who cares if I'm using it to shoot for a marketing class? Like, what does it matter? But then they found out because I was using the edit bays. We had just got new Final Cut Pros and stuff like that. And I knew how to use that stuff. So, because I was editing in, in Adobe Premiere in high school, So I knew how to use that stuff. So they, it was like my teacher came up to me, He's like, "What are you doing, Mr. Davis?" And I was like, "I'm editing this commercial." And he was like, "What? You're not supposed to do that." And it was a whole big thing. So that just kind of led to my direction. I I got an internship locally in Hampton at Metro Productions, and I created some content with them. I had some, I had a good amount of responsibility as like going into a junior year internship there and creating some like Board of Tourism content for the Virginia Board of Tourism. I'm trying to think what else I did over there. And that just kind of piqued my interest in wanting to do more, create more content like that in the marketing space. And then, you know, my best friend, shout out to Eric Ford. He was actually an advertising major and he's from New Jersey. So his first year, he had an internship, his junior year, he had an internship here in the city at Weber Shamwick. And then the next year going into senior year, he had an internship at McCann. And I was just kind of like, man, all right, I need to get up to the city. So I hustled. I did whatever I needed to do. I went on, it's like Craigslist was like just starting and I went on Craigslist, like searching for different internships. And so I was actually able to get two internships. One was at a company called Tag in mm-hmm. Soho, Tag Worldwide. And they had a sister company called Smoke and Mirrors, their post production facility. So I got it. I was me and this girl, Bailey, were the first interns there and ever and a small boutique shop. And then I also got an internship at. One of Gray Advertising, one of their companies that no longer exists called G-Wiz, which is like a a kids marketing agency. So that was like a part-time internship. And then my other one was a full-time internship on a day-to-day basis. And I think I got paid for one of those. But like back in the day, internships were all about experience. Now kids are like, I need an internship. And they're just kind of substituting that for a job. And it's not like that, you know, and the purpose of that is to, for you to get the experience professionally. So, yeah, that just kind of led into me being able to, you know, define my direction. And I was just really, really fortunate to come out of school right before the recession hit and be able to, to land a job and a job that I actually wanted as a production coordinator, which was the entry level job to become a producer at McCann. And that was great, man. It was really, really good. I, I learned so much. I saw a little bit of how the game works. I had some really, really, and I still do have some really, really great mentors in the industry. So I just kind of was like, they told me so much. I experienced races. I experienced a lot of things. And then, you know, I got laid off from McCann and went over to Wyden and, you know, Wyden was a dream job for me. You know what I mean? Once I figured out what I wanted to do and like my career trajectory and I was trying to leave McCann and figure out ways to do that. And so, I was fortunate enough to to have some relationships to get me in over at Wyden and & Kennedy and put in that work and, and kind of prove myself there. And so that was a dream job because, you know, like I said, when I studied broadcast journalism, I was growing up seeing Stuart Scott on ESPN and, you know what I mean? And like I played sports, so I was like, man, I would love to kind of work in sports. So I had the opportunity to work on brands that I just identified with as a kid and, you know, just growing up from ESPN and Nike to Jordan you know, and then as I got older and was able to responsibly drink and you know drink legally, like Heineken, I worked on Heineken, Target, I touched Target, so I worked on a bunch of great brands, and I just learned so much. I learned a lot, and I'm really really grateful for those experiences. And I had the opportunity to work at huge on a freelance basis, and that was really really dope. Shout out to Layla Rosario if you're listening, she's a blessing, and and you know really just kind of spearheaded that relationship there, and so yeah advertising industry is it was good at the time and for me and I learned a lot and then I just kind of figured out that that's not really the path that I wanted to go down as far as wider career scopes and trajectory trajectories and places that I want to go so yeah the agency game is interesting
0: who are some of your influences like when you when you look back even at the places that you've worked at or even some of your clients who are some of the people that influence you
1: i had a really really great At McCann, I had a really, really great producer that I looked up to, Greg Lotus. I think he's now running production for another agency. I'm forgetting. Yeah, I think he's the head of production, another agency. He was a really, really good influence because he just, his approach was super, super diplomatic. I didn't get the opportunity as a coordinator. My job was, it was pretty much an administrative sort of job, but it was a production coordinator. But you also got thrown into different sort of work. And administratively, I was responsible for like 14 people from, you know, assistant producers, which was the next level up, up into executive senior level producers. So there was four production coordinators within the whole department, our our department was big. And this is before again, like, (laughs) recession hit and before the the agency started to lose business. And so Greg was one of the senior level producers. And you know, I would do his expenses. and, And different people had me do different things. So here and there, he would like throw me in on some work. But I remember my boss at the time, Kind of just said I should kind of follow Lotus and that his last name is Lotus. So I did. He's at YNR now. That's the company. Sorry. So I followed him and he just, he had a really, really dope approach and I just really, really respected him. I still do. I haven't seen him in a while and spoke to him in a, a long time. But he's somebody I, I respected. And then ironically, I had the, the same when I was still at McCann, I had the opportunity to work with one of my mentors who was actually my mentor before he came. He actually came over to McCann. So it was great being able to have him in. Like in house and really just pop up to his office whenever I wanted to, and he's an agency, an industry vet, and he's now I want to say like the chief creative officer at JWT in Atlanta and Van Graves. So he was somebody I looked up to. Mm -hmm. Then like when we kind of look outside of like that agency sort of scope, more recently it's been people like Ant Demby. Man, he's really really big inspiration, and it's a lot of things he's done. Even people I've worked with, you know, it's not always like a Superior, inferior, sort of complex. It's just kind of more people that I'm just kind of inspired by, like Joshua Kissy, Travis Gums. I had the opportunity to work with those guys, but Josh, man, like those guys are really, really dope creatives. Marcus Troy as well, like right, like he's one of, was one of the first like bloggers and really, really good friend of mine. Had the opportunity to just kind of build with him on a bunch of different levels, personally and professionally. And, you know, just learn so much. And so he, all these people that I just kind of mentioned, I've just learned so much from even like Dex Robinson, right? Another good friend of mine. He's I've watched him build his business and build his brand really off of social media and leverage that, you know what I mean? And build his clientele off of that from when Instagram first started. And he might have had, you know, when it was like a big thing to have 3000 followers, when people were only like in the hundreds. So but this is before people had millions and hundreds of thousands of followers and stuff like that. So I've literally watched him scale his business. Yeah, I'm just driven by just people that know how to get it and just kind of, I'm not really driven by success. I'm more driven by like fulfillment and knowing that I'm able to help somebody. So those are the sort of things that I'm inspired by and the people that I look up to and that just kind of keep me going. And I'm just grateful for all of those peers and have those people around me.
0: When did you have that sort of first aha moment that this was what you wanted to do?
1: It was right before I got into being a talent manager. And so I looked at it as a creative talent manager because I wasn't managing anybody in music or anything like that. People always think I've worked in either music or fashion and I actually haven't. I've worked with clients in both of those verticals, but I haven't been in those industries exclusively. And I think it was working. So when I was working with Young Guru and... His manager, so he was a talent manager, he was just always kind of talking about it. And then an opportunity, it didn't really present itself, but I was just kind of like, I think I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember when it was, but I think that's when it was. I was just kind of like, hmm, I know I can help them grow their business. And I sat down with my former client you know, before we did get, cause we were friends. So we sat down and I was like, man, like, I really want to help take you guys to the next level. I want to grow your business. You guys should be doing this. I want you to, I want to help you build your empire. So your kids, your kids, kids will be good. Your kids, kids, kids will be good. So that was kind of it. That was what I think. And that was 2013, 2014, I think. Yeah. And then it just started to happen really, really fast. So I think that's when the aha moment happened.
0: So We're just starting this new year. We're in 2018. Is there anything in particular that you want to accomplish for this year?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, right? I haven't. Normally what I do is I have time at the beginning of the year that I just spend myself and setting those goals and intentions and, and putting myself in a place that I want to be able to accomplish those things. So I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. I'll be doing that before this month is over. But for sure, for sure, I'm really excited about getting this creative accelerator uh, or this accelerator studio off the ground. And I feel like I'm really, really close. So that's one of the biggest things. And that's just going to be an extension of the company. And it's going to be a resource for the artist community and for like those brands, for both my customer segments, for the artist community and for the brands, agencies, and startups and giving them a, a space to create from and a resource. So I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. and I'm just working on securing some of those partnerships and just funding to make that happen
0: you mentioned community a lot of times throughout this conversation. Talk to me about why creative community is important for you. Have you sort of found that already in New York city? Yeah.
1: I mean, I've been around it ever since I've been here. Okay. And even going back to when I interned, when I didn't even live here yet, my uncle, I like it was kind of inadvertent. My uncle was a drummer for like, any uh guy rest has slowly passed away a year and a half ago, but he, it was just ironic, right? Like, David Bowie passed away. And then a few months later my uncle passes away. And my uncle played for David Bowie. Oh, wow. So yeah, he played for David Bowie, Stevie Wonder, Carlos Santana, Shaka Khan. Like he's he's played with he played with everybody. And so I got like introduced to some people through him. And then I think the first person I kind of met, maybe that was like Uber creative and just kinda in this community that I then have just built around was I think Kenji Summers. And I'm not really, I can't even remember how Kenji and I met. It might've been like an ad week event when we were young and wet behind the ears (laughs) first (laughs) year, first year out of school working. And I, I think it was there and I just thought he was interesting. And he put me on, we started this blog or this site together called moderate snobbery back in the day, me, him, Nick Arrington, Dex was in it. It was a few of us, Rob Lee. So everybody was like a creative in a different respect, but I wasn't looking at them as creatives. It was all just "quote unquote" cool people <laughs> to me, and so I was like, man. And so that was kind of like I think the foray into a lot of things, and at that time as well, this is when the blog game was like really, really starting and blowing up. So Google had had their whole Blogspot thing. I don't know if it was Google then or Google acquired Blogspot. But this is when the Blogspot game got really, really big. And so I was looking at different blogs and all that. So, and then ironically, like some of the blogs and the people I was looking at and watching and just kind of following, I would either reach out to them or I would just ironically randomly meet them in the city and just build with them. And so from there, I was just kind of able to just kind of build those relationships. And, you know, you see people out at certain events or certain things going on. And then when you see people a couple times that you might have, might not have spoke to, it's like, oh hey man, what's your name? Like let's talk and da. And we start to talk. It's like, oh shoot. And then you know that's just kind of how relationships start and and go from there. So yeah, you know to me it's it's I, I recognize how valuable this community is that the arts and creative community to society and culture as a whole. And I think that really not only bringing them together to, to rub you know, one another's back and shake each other's hand and, and help one another, but really just kind of looking at taking a creative approach to really solve a lot of the world's problems. And I think that that is extremely possible. You know, Even as an example, I'll just use this, right? Like an artist or a creative I worked with, or two of them I've actually worked with, are involved in this initiative with, I want to say Toyota kind of funds it, and I'm forgetting what it's called, But it's an initiative for Alzheimer's and dementia patients where they get this music therapy therapy treatment. And so what they've done, both of these musicians have went to different hospitals or different centers and like spent time with these patients and either played for them or like given them like different music that they could kind of listen to. And it actually has proven that music therapy and the approach that this approach that's taken has actually Has actually like solved and brought back people's memory and like made their mind a little bit better so like that's just kind of one sort of example of how creativity can be used to solve the world's problems and that's not like like alzheimer's dementia is not necessarily a world problem it it is like a disease that exists and i'm you know very in touch with it as well because my grandmother has it and my aunt my great aunt has it so i see the effect that it has but you know just knowing that this community is so important to society and culture but they're extremely undervalued, extremely underserved, and undercompensated as well. And I know this from putting deals together, and, and even on the agency side, right? Like over as a producer, when I oversaw those budgets, I see how much people get paid. You know what I mean? So there are times that like, there is money in working with agencies, but then there's other times when brands or uh, bigger enterprises reach out to these people directly and undercompensate them. And then they're also, in my opinion, very disproportionately commoditized as well. So knowing that, it's like, how can we build this community? And with Age of the Creative, not only are we helping to solve different sort of creative problems and help the artist community scale their business, right? But it's also like a community and it's a network. So now if somebody wants to become a member of the community, like you're now a part of over 200 artists, and 200 creatives that are in. The community that we help and that we work with and that we serve you know what i mean and and there might be just different points to connect and meet with them and talk about different things and even kind of get advice or support and so that's what asia creative is about is building that fostering the building of the creative community and really being able to facilitate just different opportunities to build a relationship with the brand and agency world to the artists and creative world
0: now, where do you see yourself in the next, let's say, five years from now? What did you want to be doing? What kind of work do you want to do?
1: So one of the things I struggle with is, you know, because this is like, I don't want to say this is necessarily my baby, but I really am approaching this business, Age of the Creative, as wanting to help. And then, like I said, just identifying that it could kind of solve some of the world. Creativity can solve some of the world's problems. So I know a lot of people in the small business world and the startup world and and even entrepreneurship right now are creating different sort of products and different sort of businesses with the goal of selling, right? So I don't know if that's necessarily my end game with it. That's something I really have to evaluate And as I just get older, right? I know certain things I want personally in five years. Professionally, I haven't really, it's not to say I don't identify them. I do create short, mid and long-term goals, but, you know, I really just want to with this work and I really want to make an impact. I think that that's where I want to be in 5 years. I want Age of the Creative to kind of be like that household name of just that go-to resource, right? Like a lot of times when I talk to different people, potential clients or just new people that I meet, it's, you know, some one of the things I say is like we're like the creative Deloitte, you know what I mean? So, I don't think that there's agencies or not even agencies but companies out there that exist like this. And if they do, I don't think they're really, really prominent. So I would love for it to scale in that sort of place and that sort of way where people know that if you have this challenge, that this is, you know, Asia, the creative is who you go to for that with our team of consulting partners that we have and just all the resources that we have and the bandwidth that we have. You know, that's where I would like to be ideally. And, you know, if that comes sooner, that'd be great. So then I have to kind of readjust that, but. Yeah. And like I said, I haven't really put together my, my 2018 goals yet. I haven't had that time to do that yet and sat down and spent time with myself and God to do that. So I think that would be great if I can get there, though, in the next five years.
0: Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Ian, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online?
1: Yeah. So two things. I'm on, on a personal note. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook creative underscore Ian. And that's spelled I-A-N last name you can also spell creative it's all spelled out so that's me on instagram company pages are all the same age of the creative so at age of the and then also at age of the creative on instagram on twitter it's i think it, there's an eight age of the cr eight t-i-v-e i think because i, I okay. think i couldn't there's like a cap on the character so i couldn't have it consistent <laughs> there and that was, was just kind of be where we'll be publishing and we have a lot of good things coming out that I'm excited about. So some of the content we'll be publishing, just not only highlighting this, this community, but also, like I talked about before, we've actually adapted a new membership and subscription based model, consulting model. So now, within Age of the Creative, we still are actually providing a lot of that support for the artist community on a one-on-one basis, and then also for those brands, agencies, or startups. But the model that we've adapted is instead of just coming and saying, like, hey, great, what's your budget and et cetera, et cetera. What we've done is we've implemented uh, a couple different options and customized membership around it. So, you know, for those artists and for those creatives that need support or want to be a part of a network to grow their opportunities, then also have a space to create from, which I'm talking about, you know, one of the things I'm excited about is launching that accelerator space this year. So that's a part of, you know, we created a membership model where, you can actually have that membership subscription model where you actually have that ongoing support depending on what you want to opt into. So we have different tiers of those. We have the rising creative, the core creative, and the premium creative. And then for the brands, agencies, and startups, we actually are customizing subscription based off of
0: Mm -hmm. their
1: challenges and needs. So really, really excited about that. That will be a lot of that information is on the site already, ageofthecreative.com. And we'll continue to be publishing a lot of that stuff on social media as well. So that's where you can find me. And, and I'm really, really just excited. I'm grateful for, for you having me here, Maurice and the revision path team. So thank you so much, man.
0: Oh, well, thank you, man. I mean, everything that you've described here, it sounds like aside for this being a service that I really think creative need, I can tell that you really tapped into something that you're super passionate about. And hopefully for people that are listening, whether they've got, New Year's resolutions or not, I hope that they're inspired by what you're doing so they can tap into what they're passionate about and really create something big. So yeah, Absolutely. thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. That.
1: They should have new day resolutions. You know, I don't really do New Year's <laughs> resolutions. because It's kind of like, why wait for another year to like, you know, start to do something like why you should be doing this every day. You know what right. I mean? One thing I really get excited about is like, Being able to call, and a lot of the people that are in the artist community are people I actually have personal relationships with and I know, and, Uh you know, fortunately I've worked with them, but one thing I really, really get excited about is being able to call or text somebody and tell them that I have like a bag for them, you know, and by bag, I mean like money. So it's like, Hey, this I got money for you. Are you available? Do you want to do this? Like, that's really what I kind of get off on is like, man, I can't wait to like call Maurice and say, Hey, I got this thing coming up. Boom. It's going to be dope. Cause I, you know, cause I actually know the context of how these people want to grow. So yeah, man, I'm excited and, and excited that so finally have rolled a lot of this out. I spent a lot of 2017 working on it and had a lot of support and a lot of constructive and not so constructive feedback and Rejection and all that, so I'm really, really excited, and you know, hope that this is, is beneficial for people that need that sort of support. So, definitely reach out to us. My email is ian at ageofthecreative.com. and then also, like I said, if you just follow on socials or just drop us a line on the website as well, well, we'll get back to you as soon as possible, and you know, we can help in any way any way possible. Even if you want us, you know, you want to pick our brains, you need some sort of support, a one on one, you can set up a one on one consult. And talk to us um, as well. So definitely let us know, man. I mean, I'm excited about this and, and just grateful again.
0: Cool, man. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you again for coming on the show.
1: No doubt. No doubt. Um, have a good one, man.
0: Thoughts of love are in your mind. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Ian Davis and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ian and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, MailChimp, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Facebook isn't just one product or one type of design problem, though. Their work transforms a number of industries from advertising, news and media, local business, video, and messaging. No other company designs on a massive scale like they do. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Now I know if you're a designer and you heard me talking about apps and bots when I talk about Glitch, you might wonder if this is a tool for you. And the answer is yes, it is. Too many coding tools put up barriers to creativity with a lot of complicated setup and features. And Glitch really lets you get started creating with no hassle at all. So what will you make today? Get started at glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up today for great events, stories, and the latest updates on material design at design.google/newsletter. Again, that's design.google/newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better emails. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. With different hosting platforms to suit every need, including manage WordPress hosting on all plans, SiteGround will not let you down. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash path and get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you really like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two, but it really helps the show out by bumping us up in the Rankings for Design podcasts, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you're listening to this and you want to hear next week's episode early, then you should become our patron over at Patreon. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.